It's nice to take a break from the action once in a while, isn't it? All jokes aside, hello everyone, welcome back to Big Bookshelf Productions. Now, for this week's episode, I'm just going to talk about something very interesting within the superhero genre. The ability to make these superheroes look just as human as the people that they save. Well, with the recent release of WandaVision on Disney+, Plus being the first Marvel Studios production to really take a step back from some of the whammo-blammo action, give us some different ways to look at superheroes, I want to talk about a couple other superhero stories that do this. My two focuses being The Incredibles, and The Incredibles 2 at that, and Watchmen. Let's get started. So I want to start by talking about WandaVision, what we've seen in the first four episodes. Obviously, so far, it is brilliant. Obviously, it's great to see MCU action back. Especially after the fact that Black Widow, Eternals, Shang-Chi all got pushed back. But to have WandaVision out is nice to really see the street, how Marvel translates over Disney+. And I also love the classic sitcoms feel, as I had older parents and had actually been able to see some of the older sitcoms, such as Family Ties or... I haven't really seen Dick Van Dyke that much, but I've seen Bewitched, which probably is the closest thing I've seen to WandaVision when you think about the concept. But, you know, conspiracy theories aside about where this is going, it's really interesting to see more chemistry between Wanda and Vision. These, obviously, the romance was big in the comics. Now we're seeing it in the MCU with Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen. It's also great to see it in a more sitcom format as it goes through different decades. It also shows us how Wanda and Vision's powers make them kind of oddballs in the in their neighborhood. A little slice of heaven. I think it's actually our most unique project since Black Panther because, well, not just because, because of a streaming show, because of that feel, that mundane aspect that goes along with their superpowers. I mean, imagine trying to cook dinner for your, your husband's boss. You pull out your superpowers and... It just goes to hell automatically. It's just... That is something cool to see. It's not cool for Wanda to go through, but it's fine to watch. I mean, it's not every day you get to see superheroes in a more sitcom style environment, but we've been close. How about a decade and a half earlier? Or, or actually, I should say it like this. Too late. 15 years too late. I'm guessing we've all heard of The Incredibles by this point. You know, the Parr family, Girl, Dash, Violet, Mr. Incredible, Frozone, yada, yada, yada. To me, it's, I think it's one of those films that actually gets better when you get older. I actually, initially, I loved it growing up. I didn't watch it too often, but when I revisited it when I was in college, it became one of my favorite movies. I put it in my top six, if you may recall. And I would even say that Incredibles 2 is my favorite of the Pixar sequels. Of course, I'm probably biased on, a f- on account that, well, uh, not a big Toy Story fan. Don't shoot, please. But one of the things I really love about what Brad Bird put in The Incredibles was that fantastic marriage of the mundane and the fantastic. I always love how some... I just love the aspect behind it for a lot of reasons that are really hard to explain. It just makes these superheroes more relatable. They're not, oh, they're not all powerful gods and goddesses. 
If you recall a scene very early within the story, you'll recall Mr. Incredible getting a bomb off of uh, Credit Boy's cape, falling on the, the L train tracks, and seeing the L train coming at him. You see Mr. Incredible go out there to be the buffer to stop the train. You see him for a brief second just close his eyes, turn his head away, right before impact. It's a nice little touch that shows the character's humanity. And it's a nice, it definitely makes the character more relatable, especially when you look at Bob's struggle within the story. And then, going from there, we come to another story that makes superheroes more human. Who's here, who here has heard of Watchmen? For those of you who haven't really heard of Watchmen, it started life as a 12-issue comic series that came out between 1986 and 1987. It was a DC release. But this story is more DC than DC. I mean, graphic, gory, violence, depictions of sex and nudity, damn near apocalyptic setting... Basically, if you thought Batman Gotham City was just great, wait until you read this. But it's a fantastic story nonetheless. I mean, it's darker, it's more personal, it's a psychological experiment in a sense. It's set in 1985 where costume vigilantes, not superheroes, costume vigilantes, were once a big part of American society until Nixon, who used them to win the Vietnam War, abuse his power, ban those costume adventurers, and lit up America closer to nuclear war with the Soviet Union than ever before. The story follows a couple of these vigilantes after one of their own is murdered. The graphic novel is considered a staple of pop culture as the graphic novel is actually the only graphic novel to be on the 100 best English language novels since 1923 list on Time magazine. Also has an Eisner Award and a Hugo Award. This book basically doesn't pull any punches. It is just as dark as dark can get. And it was even considered unfilmable for a long time until Zack Snyder, a.k.a. the guy who pretty much pushed the DCEU too fast, filmed it, and it got released in 2009, and it was solid for the most part, but some of the changes and additions they made, such as adding more action sequences to it, didn't really hold up as well as they could have, and the costume designs even, I thought, were a little too much as well. Then again, as we've all said, the graphic novel had a very high benchmark, so it's not exactly like Snyder had low expectations going into this. It's not like Batman vs. Superman or Man of Steel, I know. Some people like Man of Steel, but I got 30 minutes into it, and well, I was done. So, there's my opinion on that. So let's move on with those explanations. There is one very big similarity that I see with all three of these stories. A strong focus on the psychology of superheroes. Let's start with WandaVision, what we've seen so far in the first few episodes. My best guess with what's going on is there has to be some manipulation from Agnes, but I wouldn't be surprised if this whole thing ended up being entirely Wanda's creation, holding an entire town hostage and trying to create this perfect world where she and Vision can be together. I mean, let's face it, Scarlet Witch in the MCU has pretty much gone through one of the worst paths any human can go through. Losing your parents in a, in a bombing where uh, a Stark Industries weapon was used in it. Her and her brother ended up being modified into superhumans by Hydra Remnants. Losing that brother. Accidentally splitting the Avengers in half over your own power so you can't control them. Had to live on the run with Vision stopping in from every now and then. Vision getting the Mind Stone yanked out of him by Thanos and killing him permanently being wiped out of existence for five years. You get the point. She's been through a lot. It would make perfect sense 
if Wanda just snapped and took and took refuge in this town, holding it hostage, making it her own sanctuary where she and Vision could just live together in peace. The peace that she never got to enjoy when she was a kid, when she was an adult. The peace she never got to see. Only problem is, well, keeping a whole town hostage and hiding it from the rest of the world isn't exactly the best coping mechanism I would, would recommend to somebody. Then again, there's still a lot of show left, so we should have more answers, and I will undoubtedly be wrong by the end of this. There's no doubt what the MCU's been, what the MCU has been doing. Let's find the Incredibles and some of the character profiles we see there. Now, obviously, we know the story of Bob Parr, once the great superhero Mr. Incredible, forced to retire to the suburbs, raise a family, and well, after that, just he's not happy with it. He feels unhappy because of being forced to retirement and not being able to really enjoy that life. However, fate sends a call to have him come back to his superhero days, and eventually, well, he does start to feel alive again. He also has to realize that it's not all him. It's all his family as well. I could go into major... I'm going to go into a lot of depth about these characters. In fact, as a little fun fact, when Brad Bird wrote these characters, the Parr family, he wrote their powers based on the personality and archetypes of the family. For example, Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible, his power is super strength. He's the dad of the family, has to shoulder a lot of the weight of making sure the family is happy and successful and yada, yada, yada. So it would make sense that his character be strong and with limited invincibility. With Helen, Elastigirl, the moms are always forced to be pulled in different directions, taking care of this, taking care of that, etc., etc. So it makes sense that Helen's powers would be more be able to stretch in different directions and very far. Look at Violet, the teen girl, who is uncomfortable in her own skin, as many teenage girls have been known to be. So it makes sense that her powers are invisibility so she can hide and force it so she can protect herself. And Dash, well, being a young preteen boy, he's got a lot of energy, just pent up, way to run around. So it makes sense that his powers are super speed. And then we come to Jack-Jack, the adorable little baby with fire, morphing, copying, super strength, laser eyes, pew-pew. Babies are full of potential. We don't know what they're going to be. So it makes sense that Jack-Jack's powers are limitless. And then I'm going to add Frozone in the mix. Frozone's character, Samuel Jackson's voice, just sound cool, smooth, suave. So it makes sense that he had the power of ice. I like those ideas especially because they give the powers more depth. They're not just randomly slapped onto a character for absolutely no reason. It would make sense, especially, I'm going to give a Marvel example here. Iron Man, Tony Stark. Tony Stark's a billionaire, industrialist, super genius. It would make sense that obviously he wouldn't be super powered, but he'd be able to make his own suit of armor, refine it, tech it, make himself powerful. You wouldn't just get a billionaire or random powers, would you? Well, speaking of billionaires, there actually is one in Watchmen. I'm going to talk about Watchmen too, because I think Watchmen of all of these stories has the strongest and most mature themes, probably because, you know, not run by Disney, it's run by DC, and more brothers are usually willing to go a bit more outside the box. But also because it does explore a lot more heinous acts and real-life consequences. 
The first example on that case is Edward Blake, or the comedian, who is killed, who is the victim I mentioned at the start of the story. Now, this guy has probably stepped out from being a super villain because of, well, he's a jackass. Pardon my French. Attempted rape, gung-ho attitude. This guy seems to not care about anything. Doesn't seem to have a conscience. But then again, it turns out that he understands this world perfectly. It's related, it's related to us from Dr. Manhattan, another character in the story who I'm going to explain a bit later. He notices that Blake understand and quote-unquote understands the, and is the darkest of the world perfectly and just does not care about it. I think that's why they chose the comedian, because he knows the world's darkness, and he's just choosing to laugh it off like some joker, and, well, he's obviously a complete, well, you know. Moving on, we have Rorschach, who is basically Batman, if Batman was a lot more unhinged, a lot darker, and didn't have any way of holding himself back. We see Rorschach, the character of Walter Kovacs, who turns out is pretty much a degenerate type. Doesn't really speak much. Socially awkward. Terrible childhood as his mother was a prostitute. Like I said, this story is not pulling punches and is not intended for kids. So if your kid gets into Watchmen before he's 13 and he starts talking about this stuff, just give you a fair warning. Don't let your kids read this until you're 13. Going back, though. Kovacs, rough child growing up, becomes the vigilante Rorschach. It's not explained in the movie, but in the comics it's mentioned the story of Kitty Genovese. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of her from psychology class, but the tale murder of Kitty Genovese. Girl was raped, killed outside her apartment, and yet all her neighbors simply watched. They didn't do another thing except sit there, stand there, watch. And Kovacs was working at a garment factory at the time, was given material from from one of her, her orders that never got to her. A dress with weird ink blots in it. So he took it home, made a mask out of it. And that's why the name Rorschach, the ink blot face that changed with expression. Which is really interesting to think about. It also shows how dark this tale is willing to go. And at first, Rorschach definitely has a lot of cunning genius. He speaks like a normal person. But after one such heinous crime where he witnesses, you know, the remains of a little girl being chopped to pieces and fed to her abductor's dogs, yes, I said it, this story is ridiculous. He pretty much goes over the deep end and he's no longer coddling criminals. He is no longer keeping them alive. He is willing to kill. I repeat, he is willing to kill. This is a guy that you would not want to get on the bad side of at any point in time. And then we come across Dr. Manhattan, who was once John Osterman, a a physicist who was accidentally disassembled in a nuclear physics experiment and then reassembled himself as this blue, omnipotent god who can pretty much do anything, create realities, manipulate matter, wave of a hand, he could probably blow you up. Seriously, that's actually what happens to Rorschach at the end of the story. However... Being this all-powerful, being the first real superhero, you know, God exists and he is American, which is a line from the story, he he essentially finds himself being distanced from the world. He experiences things way differently than the rest of us do. For example, this guy experiences time not literally like the rest of us. Time is just, 
it's like Doctor Who essentially with this guy. Time is not relative to him. It's very well explained in his chapter, chapter 4. He talks about experiencing moments at any given point in time. He sees himself in one moment on Mars after exiling himself. He sees himself in the past, the moment that he was turned to the career of physics. He sees the accident that turned him into Dr. Manhattan. Basically, to him, to quote David Tennant, time is above wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. It just shows how advanced, how distant he is from, hum- from humans, especially with when he was demolished. His love just kind of walked away, not wanting to see him be ruthlessly torn apart and turned into a skeleton. You could probably say there that dissociation really started, and uh, when I all said sex, this guy prays around naked. Yeah, hide your kids, hide your wife, etc., etc. I, I do not know how I can say this on a podcast, but if they report me, I'll take that as a lesson moving forward. I've never really done podcasting before October, so you live and you learn. Apologies in advance. But those are the three that I really talk about because they're the strongest, darkest characters. I mean, this these characters are way different from most superheroes that you'll see in Marvel, and DC, in anything. I also did mention the billionaire, Ozymandias, or Adrian Veidt. And so Veidt is kind of the semi-antagonist as he was once a crime fighter he a billionaire once he actually revealed his identity and decided to retire early continually making his fortune it turned out turns out at the end that Vite kind of manipulated everything so he could destroy the world to rebuild it in a sense I won't spoil how he does it in both the, both the comic and the movie you'll have to watch both of those for yourself but the idea for him to s- destroy the world to save it is a very interesting concept and it shows how you can humanize supervillains. We've seen it with Killmonger and Black Panther MC- MCU, but I would tie it back even to The Incredibles, the villains of Syndrome and Evelyn Dever, the Screenslaver. What are their motivations? With Syndrome, or Buddy, or Incrediboy, whatever, Buddy just wanted to be Mr. Incredible's sidekick. It was like, it's basically Batman rejecting Robin, and if Robin, because of that, became a villain because of it. On that, on that account. He wants revenge against Mr. Incredible and to be the hero that he was never given the chance to be. The Omnidroid is his creation. He intends to use he intends to use it to fight it and make himself look like a real superhero and get that attention. And then, obviously, sell that gear and prove that even without superpowers, you can still be super. And like he says, and when everyone's super, no one will be. I couldn't resist. I actually would go as far as say Syndrome is my favorite supervillain within the superhero realm. Given his motivations, given his charismatic performance by Jason Lee, Syndrome is among the best of the best. I love how the character is written by Brad Bird. And it's hard to believe that at first, Syndrome was not supposed to be the villain. He was supposed to show up at the beginning, threaten Bob and Helen and their newborn Violets, be killed off in the beginning. We had an entirely different villain in, for the rest of the sh- rest of the movie. But the pre- but everybody loves Syndrome so much they just turned him into the villain. And you know what? Fantastic call. Just that being said, Evelyn Dever's Screenslaver 
still still a step down, but she's still a fantastic villain, a fantastic concept of not letting other people dictate what you do. She always she says it herself, superheroes keep us weak. So her mind is in the right place, teaching people that teaching pe- to be essentially to show people that you shouldn't be relying on superheroes, especially since it costs her and her brother Winston, who wants to bring back superheroes, uses Helen for the campaign. Basically, lost their parents because her dad relied on superheroes and he was killed in a break-in. That is some dark stuff. Now, Incredibles, I will say, is dark. But it obviously can't go full-bound because it's a Disney movie. Seriously, imagine R-rated Incredibles. I think they could do a lot with that, too. I'm getting sidetracked. Back to Screenslaver. The concept of the idea of, you know... Listen to the Screenslaver speech in Incredibles 2. You know, some people don't want to get up. You don't, you don't play games. You watch game shows. Now, watch that speech again. As Elastigirl is flying through New Urbum, trying to trace the signal. You can see that there's a message behind just sitting down in life and, particip- and not participating and letting other people do the work for you. And how it prevents you from... And how it can be a grave mistake at times. When you even think, even when you think about it, when the last time you see Evelyn in the movie, she's being, being put in the, in the uh, cop car. She tells, oh, she tells Helen, the fact that you saved me doesn't prove you right. Helen's response, it does make you alive. So it doesn't try to answer. So like with all three of these characters, not who's right and who's wrong. Their hearts are clearly in the right place. They're just using their own diabolical means to try and reshape the world. In fact, when you look at Adrian Veidt, at the end of, towards the end of Watchmen, before Dr. Manhattan leaves that universe to create his own and be his god of that universe, before he leaves, Veidt asks him, did I do the right thing? Was it all... Did it all turn out all right? And... Essentially, Dr. Manhattan doesn't fully answer his question. He just leaves it open-ended. He says, nothing ever ends. That's the beauty of the... Su- I think when you can get a supervillain realistically nailed in any medium of superhero story, you've got yourself quite... You've got yourself quite a product. You can make a supervillain just bad for no reason. It's just doesn't always work. I mean... The MCU, I think, has been hit or miss with its villains because it doesn't exactly give them a lot of motivations. I'll admit, Iron Man, the first Iron Man, you know, the first MCU movie, is my favorite MCU film, but even I'll admit, Stane's motivations were a bit weaker, just wanting to be in control of Stark Industries, just wanting to continue being a weapons manufacturer. Not exactly the best motivation. Killmonger, Thanos, all have much better motivations in their story. Even Ghost and Ant-Man and the Wasp had fantastic motivations. Seriously. It's just me. The villain's gotten better over the last three, four years of the MCU. Don't forget Vulture and Spider-Man Homecoming, of course. Then again, Spider-Man always nails its villains. I guess what doesn't Spider-Man nail in the Marvel Universe when you think about it? So, there you have it. You have a Quick rundown. I apologize for the quality of this video. Been a little busy with a few things. Haven't really keep up with it. So what I may do to try to shake things up is that I'll have an episode for you next week. It won't be comparisons. It won't be. It won't be something stupid. Me rambling. 
What it will be will be a movie review. I'm going to sit down with a movie that I will not name until it comes up, and I'm going to review it, talk about my thoughts on it, try to see if I can break it down a bit more in depth. And next Friday, you'll have that review to really sit down, enjoy the movie. But I will leave you this point message. If you have not seen Watchmen, or if you if you haven't read... Actually, I would say movies are a right recommendation, but if you can, look for the graphic... Look for the graphic novel, Watchmen. It's a beautiful piece of work, and I would recommend it to anybody who can stomach that kind of thing. That being said, have a great weekend.